Friday, November 25th, and happy Black Friday to you. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and it's uh, been a fun few days in college basketball. we got a lot to get to, including uh, Indiana's loss at Fort Wayne, Baylor's hot start, Creighton's hot start. But I want to start with uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels. UNC won the Maui Invitational, looked awesome while doing it, uh, won all three games by at least 15 points and by an average of 30 points. They beat Chaminade by 43 uh, beat Oklahoma State by 32, beat Wisconsin by 15, never trailed for a single second in the entire uh, event. So Roy Williams, it looks like, uh, has himself a really nice basketball team. And it's funny because even though they did play in the championship game last season and they did return uh, a lot of important pieces from that team, um, in the preseason, like we talked about Kentucky a lot, we talked about Duke a lot, we talked about Kansas a lot. We talked about Villanova because they were the reigning champs. Like, I don't know that North Carolina was discussed in, in those same conversations. And yet, it's only two weeks into the season. But through two weeks in the season, I don't have them ranked number one. If only because I don't think Kentucky's and Villanova have done anything to deserve to drop. But if you asked me honestly who I would take on a neutral court right now against anybody, it, it might be North Carolina. What do you make of, uh, of the team Roy's got over in Chapel Hill? They're looking really good. The reason why Carolina maybe wasn't given as much credit coming into the season, GP, is you know Bryce Johnson was fantastic, and Marcus Page really was a, a steadying presence there. And I thought losing both of them, I still thought Carolina was a top ten team. Don't get me wrong. I thought they might need a little bit of time to adjust and to prove themselves as a national title contender. They haven't needed that at all. They have looked as good as really anyone in the country. They haven't faced the hardest schedule yet, but they haven't they haven't played a, a bunch of crap either. I mean, the, the way they rolled through Maui, okay, they beat Chaminade, you know, big yeah, deal. Whatever but they then, have, but like even before Maui, I mean, they beat Chattanooga, which is a pretty good team. Yeah, they beat them by forty. Yeah, they rolled, yeah, they rolled them. They, they and they're rolling everyone at this point. Right. Um, Wisconsin looked really bad. Um, I to the point where it made me think a little bit about Wisconsin and what it's going to be this year or what it can be. But, yeah, if anyone wants to say that UNC is the best team in the country right now, I, I really can't argue with that given how well they've played. Um, and, listen, Meeks, like I was big on Meeks coming in. I think Kennedy Meeks actually will have a pretty good year, but Isaiah Hicks has been extremely good. Um, people can make the argument he's more vital to the front court than Meeks. Uh, you'll have a case there, but I think Meeks is set up for a huge year. And then Joel Berry, who is you know really ready to take a step up here um, in production and what he'll do. Uh, you know he'll be a, he'll certainly be a guy uh, that looks to take a lot of threes, probably the most on the team. This is a UNC team, by the way, that really won't live or die by the three. And they they're starting to already get some nice. Production. See, it's a very veteran-laden team, but then you've got a big man, freshman Tony Bradley, who's come up and really started to have some nice contributions he already. Looks, he looks is, legit. Like, like I don't. I, I, I know he was a McDonald's All-American, but wasn't like a consensus top ten, top fifteen guy. Um, he looks like the real deal so far. He does, and and now we get a nice little setup here. Um, you know, we're we're still a few days out, but Carolina coming off Maui. Its next game will be ACC Big Ten, and so it goes to Indiana, who 
obviously we're going to hit on this, but Indiana now, you know, it's kind of looking at its wounds a little bit after giving us one of the most interesting games of the week. And so that will be uh, one of the biggest games of next week when uh, the Tar Heels go and play in Bloomington. Um, one note on Wisconsin. A lot of, you know, the preseason, I don't want to say it was hype because that implies that it was undeserved. Like, you know, Wisconsin deserved all the attention it got. But some of it was, you know, they brought all those pieces back from a, uh, a really good team. But also it was like, well, Nigel Hayes can't shoot 29% from three-point range again. Well, guess what he's shooting from three-point range again? 29%. Like, like <laughs> It's exactly 29%. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I, I think it is wow. like twenty nine point zero. I think it's exactly. Let me look. It is. Last year he shot twenty nine point three percent from three point range. This season he's shooting two more three pointers per game. Not making them though. He's shooting twenty nine percent exactly twenty nine percent from three point range, which is wild because as a sophomore, and perhaps this was a Kaminsky Decker effect. Like he maybe he got cleaner looks, um, but you know he shot. He shot basically forty percent from three point range as a sophomore, and that's why people started projecting him and projecting him as a top twenty pick in the NBA draft. You know because he was uh, a six eight like stretch you know uh, like stretch four or you know big three or stretch four whatever. And but a lot of that's because you know you thought he would be somebody who'd be able to consistently knock down shots from the perimeter. He's not doing it right now, and it doesn't mean he can't. Uh, but he's not at this moment. Um, yeah, the ACC Big Ten Challenge with North Carolina. And Indiana should be terrific, and I might take Indiana in that game just because it's at Assembly Hall. I tend to, to to like home teams in college basketball when the the talent is is even comparable. Um, but let's focus on the on the Hoosiers for a moment because you wrote about this earlier in the week. Uh, they went to Fort Wayne for a variety of reasons, and that game wasn't really on anybody's radar whenever it tipped. And what night was it? Tuesday night, maybe. Um, but by the time by the time it was over, or really by about midway through the second half, I felt like everybody who sits around watching college basketball had tuned into the Big Ten Network and was watching that. And I know you wrote this, and I agree. Like, give Tom Crean credit for even scheduling the game. Most guys in his position wouldn't. Um, but what happened on that night, uh, and it was Tuesday night, is yeah. exactly why most guys in his position will not schedule that game because it's 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 a great idea and it's a wonderful thing for your state and a wonderful thing for uh, college basketball fans right up until the final buzzer sounds and you just took a loss to a game most people wouldn't have even, in a game most people wouldn't even play. Right. So here are a few thoughts I have on this. One, I mean, there are guys that do regularly schedule road games against smaller competition there are not a lot but roy williams for example is one of them i mean even this year um set up a game against tulane and then he played at hawaii in advance of the maui invitational so guys there are coaches out Izzo um occasionally he'll usually play oakland on a neutral but the reason why the, the crean one was interesting and crean by the way has dodged this a lot over the years but he finally did relent and he, he opted to relent in a year where Fort Wayne was actually projected to be the best team in the Summit League, too. So he did this knowing that he was going against a team that would have a solid chance at being the auto bid from its tournament. Um, what was interesting about it was you don't have a lot of coaches willing to do this within their own state. Okay, So you might have a coach occasionally give up a, a two-for-one, so to speak, against a mid-major which means that the better team gets two games at home and they'll play one game on the road 
against a smaller school. And that will usually line up to where a coach will do that when the smaller school is either really young or coming off a year where it would have been good and then it lost a player or two. So it's, it's very strategic. Crean didn't do that in a, in a state like Indiana, but he also like, he knew what he was doing. I mean, the state's overrun by Indiana fans. So the interesting dynamic was that Fort Wayne one wasn't playing in its primary home gym. It has sort of like a Yukon setup where Yukon plays in stores and then occasionally it will play in Hartford. Fort Wayne has a couple of home uh, arenas as well. It, it played in the bigger spot because Indiana fans, by accounts of reports that were there, I mean, it was like 85-15, if not greater than that, of IU fans. So it was it was a road game in venue, but not in spirit. Um, and if anyone was watching that game, you could hear it. Once Indiana really rallied near the end and sent that to overtime, <laughs> every time Indiana scored, you were watching a TV screen that showed Fort Wayne on the floor. But uh, it indicated that the, the crowd was rooting for IU, and they were. Um, that's why I thought it made for a unique uh, viewing experience, something that was really great. Um, I, I'm going to echo what pretty much everyone said afterward. Um, once IU lost, John Kaufman gave a terrific postgame speech just because so good. Like, like in the moment you get you get the biggest win of your career. You know, your your team's on the floor. They're just jubilant. You got, you know, the fans that were there uh, cheering for Fort Wayne are going nuts all around you. TV camera on you. And in the moment, Kaufman realizes that, like, there's no way Cream's happy right now. He's probably immediately re- regretting scheduling the game. But the fact of the matter is, like, that was a really cool thing for the sport. Um, it's not going to kill Tom Green's career. It's not, not going to wreck Indiana's season. Uh, the big picture is it would be so much better if we got these kind of games. And yes, these kinds of results on occasion. But I understand why a lot of the coaches would see what happened to Indiana and simply would refuse to do that. I hope some of that uh, reaction will wear off. And by the time we get to next summer when they're scheduling these games, we might get one or two more. But it was really, really cool. And, the, and I do want to emphasize Fort Wayne, this is the kind of team where – you, you very well could see them in your bracket as like a 13. So this might not be the first and last you hear of them this season. They're really good. Indiana, it, it was a tough spot, a rough spot, but I do think they're going to be okay. And I st- actually, I, I picked Wisconsin to win the Big Ten at the start of the season. I'll stick with that. But after seeing what Indiana's become and how it's running this positionless offense um, and what Wisconsin's still yet to do on the whole, uh, I, I'm still I'm, – I'm more – inspired by the Hoosiers right now than the Badgers. And keep in mind, and this has sort of got lost, at least when people talk about the, the you know, huge outcome or surprising outcome from Tuesday night. You know, OG barely played in the game. Like, that, that matters. Yeah, he was sick. Yeah, Curry yeah. said he was sick after. So that, that does have an impact, without it, a doubt. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, it, it shouldn't take away from anything, but it is something that should be noted about that game. Like, uh, Indiana was mostly without um, either its best player or second best player depending on what you think of Thomas Bryant um, or James Blackman, rather. Without one of their key guys, let's just put it like that and avoid the argument. Uh, I want to circle back to, to John's uh, Kaufman's postgame interview because it was terrific. Um, you know, and, and think about it in, these, in, in, in this context as well. Like, he, he, he might never – he might never be in a position where he's speaking live on national television in such a significant basketball moment again. Like that, like that. That's not crazy to think that that might be as as good as it ever gets. Like, it, like honestly, that's probably the first time I've ever seen John on my television. You ever seen John on yeah. your television before? 
have not until okay. that moment. Okay, right. He, we might never see him on our television again. Like, you know, who knows? I hope that's not true, but it's certainly possible. And for him to have what is the, I think, uh, undeniably the biggest professional moment of his career and to take that opportunity to just heap praise on Tom and on Indiana, I thought it says a lot about John. And it seems like he recognized, and he would because he lives in that state, um, exactly what was coming for Tom. Because, like, you know, like Indiana fans, and I don't even play. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, I can't believe they'd be upset. You lost to Fort Wayne. Be upset. I, I'm not going to tell you not to in this in this, this time. <laughs> Maybe in other times I'd tell you not to, but not now. Um, but it seemed like he recognized, boy, this is going to be really tough on Tom. And I'm going to use this moment to uh, praise him for, for scheduling the game, but being willing to do this. Uh, and, and then reassuring everybody in the state who's watching right now, Indiana's going to be fine. Uh, and I thought that was a, a really gracious an awesome way to spend those 45 seconds or whatever it was. He deserved a, um, like everybody has complimented the way John handled that situation. And, and the reason is because he handled it, uh, perfectly from Tom's uh, Queens perspective. And you noted, you, 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 you know, you highlighted this, like it, it's such a great idea in theory because you're going to get a two for one. Okay. So that's good. You are going to go play on the road uh, in your state to, to what is, I didn't even realize this before Tuesday night, Fort Wayne's the second largest city in Indi- Indiana. Did you know that? I did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. If you'd have asked me Tuesday morning just randomly, hey, what's the second largest city in Indiana? I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't have even known what to guess. Like in most states, you can sort of like guess, right? Like, you know, Tennessee, you go, okay, Nashville and then Memphis, right? But like, it, I, I, would, I wouldn't even had a good guess for you. <laughs> I had no idea. So Fort Wayne's the second largest city in the state. So you get to go to the second largest city uh, in your state, play a game. Your fans are going to fill up the arena, not theirs. But it's technically going to be a road game, which is going to help for RPI purposes and all sorts of other computer purposes. So like, you're playing a quality opponent in a, in a road game, but it's not really a road game. It looks like you're extending, um, uh, you know, an, a, an awesome opportunity to a to another in-state school, to a to a to a good guy who coaches a solid program, who you happen to like. Like on paper, I could just sort of see how Tom got to this point where he was like, "This will be great. We'll get a road win, but it won't even, but it'll really be a home game. We'll we'll go to a different part of the state, give a whole new audience an opportunity to see us in person. Yeah, let's do it." And it's a great idea up until OJ, OG sick and you're down at the half. And so I, I understand the, um, I understand the, 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 how you could convince yourself this is a great thing to do. And, and perhaps it just was independent of the result, a great thing to do. But that is exactly why um, you don't get many coaches willing to do that with programs that are uh, brands as big as the Indiana brand. Because, um, yeah, you can gain something by doing it, but, boy, you sure can lose a lot, uh, particularly when your your fan base um, is, I think, mostly on board at this point, but still, you know, always close to the edge of, of, of flipping on you just because, um, you know, it's no different than Kentucky's fan base or, or North Carolina's fan base or, you know, UCLA's fan base. It's a fan base that has enjoyed an immense amount of success over decades and, uh and they don't take to losing too well. So that that was a, a fun night in college basketball. Not fun for Indiana, but certainly fun for the sport. And 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 what an awesome moment for John and 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 for those kids who play it at Fort Wayne. After that, there's been some fun games as well. Um, 
two teams that uh, I think are off to tremendous starts. Creighton and Baylor. Um, you know, and, and Creighton, I think everybody had in the preseason rankings, but they're five and zero now. They've got three top eighty wins. Um, look great. That, that's the other thing. They're not just beating people. They they look great. They're shooting fifty one percent from three point range. Not going to keep that up, I don't think. But they are doing it through five games, fifty one percent from three point range, and they're doing it with the uh, the transfer market. You know, they went out and got Mo Watson as a as a transfer. They went out and got Marcus Foster as a transfer. They went out and got Cole Hoff Cole Huff as a uh, a transfer. And uh, it's not only those three, but those are probably their three best players. And I talked to Greg McDermott about this earlier uh, in the week and then wrote about it. You can find the column over at CBSSports.com. Because uh, typically, if not always, when you make a jump from a so-called mid-major league to uh, a traditional power league, that's a hard thing to do. You saw it was difficult for Butler. Um, you know, Butler didn't only slip in that one year because uh, Brad Stevens left. Even if Brad would have stayed there, they would have slipped because you recruit Horizon League players and then suddenly you're playing a biggie schedule. Well, for Creighton, it was the same deal. You know, Greg was recruiting NBC players. And then that you look up and you're having to play against Big East players at Villanova and Georgetown and so on and so forth. And... The interesting thing with them is the transition, at least immediately, was easy because they had just totally uh, uh, just based on a little more than timing. Uh, they happen to have one of the great college basketball players of all time on the roster who was a senior. Uh, that's Doug McDermott. But then they had a six-year senior in Grant Gibbs, a fifth-year senior in Ethan Raggy. So they were equipped to handle that transition, at least in year one. But they knew Year two was going to be tough, and year three was probably going to be tough as well because you lose those seniors, and then what do you got left? Basically an NBC roster trying to play in the Big East. And with all due respect to the NBC, because I think that's a terrific league, most schools, Wichita State's changing that right now, but most schools in that in that league recruit a certain level of player, and it's not the same level of player that St. John's and Georgetown and Providence have, you know, and uh, Villanova recruit year in and year out, Xavier. So... Year two was tough. Year three was tough. And and one of the things Greg told me, I figured this was true, but I wanted to talk to him about it, is that they knew, like, enrolling high school players consistently, one after another, it was going to take a while before they'd be able to compete in the Big East. The best way, and this is the term he used, to get back on, on solid ground was to go out and explore and attack the transfer market. And they've done it brilliantly. And now they got one of the best backcourts in the country. And I talked to one of the coaches who's already coached against them this year and lost. And he was like, and he didn't even know this coach. It was, it was a random conversation about something else. He had no idea I was actually writing about Creighton. And he said, he said, man, I'm telling you, he said, that, that team's final four good. He said, go ahead and get on board with them now. And you'll look smart in a couple of months. He said, that team is legit. Now they just lost Zach Hansen to an ankle injury. I think, yeah, it's an ankle injury. He's going to be out like a couple of months and that, that hurts. But that Creighton team, man, like they're really good and they might belong in the conversation. I think do belong in the conversation with Villanova and Xavier at the top of the Big East. They do at this point. Uh, that's fair to, to group them in there. The Hanson injury, I don't think it'll be too, too big. Um, but if he's able to come back full strength uh, in the conference schedule, um, they'll probably need that boost and they'll need that personnel. So keep an eye on that. When you look at Creighton's schedule right now, first of all, 
They're only 24 in Ken Palm right now. But remember, Ken Palm, which you know every bus- every writer in the business relies on basically as a as a point of reference. It still is using data from last season. It's not. It hasn't fully flipped. It, it takes a good four or five weeks for uh, Ken Palm to really just only use data from this season uh, when he's using his rankings. So Creighton's a little low right now. That's a little surprising, but it is. Um, there are a bunch of factors that go into it. So when you look at what they got coming up here, I mean, lo- three game home games in a row: Loyola, Buffalo, and Akron. They'll go and play at Nebraska. Uh, that will be a tricky one, and don't underrate the hatred between Creighton and Nebraska fans. It's it's similar to BYU and Utah fans. Like on a national level, it's not that appreciated, but it's downright vitriolic. It's actually fairly shocking. Uh, that will be a, an interesting one. Nebraska actually still won against, granted, a shorthanded Dayton team on Thanksgiving night, uh, but they looked well. We'll see what Tim Miles' team can do there. Um, that one, and then Arizona State are the only ones out of conference left that Creighton will have away from its home venue. This does look like a team that is set up to cruise to be a single-digit seed. The offense looks really, really good. I'm glad we have a piece up on them because they deserve it at this point. Uh, Watson has been everything that I thought he could and would be. Um, he, more than Foster, in my opinion, because of what he does, uh, has a chance at being an All-American. Yes. And I can tell you that if Creighton... If Creighton gets like a four seed or better, then Watson will be at worst a third team All American. He they he will be a huge reason for that. And don't get me wrong, Foster is doing well right now, without a doubt. Um, Cole Huff is actually I'm kind of waiting for him to pop a little bit more to be honest with you, but he's been strong overall. But yeah, right now, get Creighton right there with Xavier and Villanova. Uh, the Big East could have a really good situation here, and we got to kind of wait for the rest of the non conference to play out overall. But the Biggies could have the first time in uh, probably since 2011 where it would have three teams with legitimate Final Four prospects. Um, that hasn't been the case since they realigned. But right now, those three that we mentioned, all undefeated, and Butler as well is the, is the, uh, is the under, other undefeated team in that conference. It has a pretty interesting game. We're recording this early Friday morning. Butler is yet to lose, and they will play against Arizona at approximately 10:30 on Friday night, if Butler gets that win, um, <laughs> I still would not put them in the in Creighton Xavier Nova's class just yet. I wouldn't, but if they get that win, um, certainly would be huge gains for the conference because uh, Arizona is a good team, shorthanded obviously still, but that would be a big win for them. Now, you know, Butler, they were down to Vandy like late. I think they closed on like a 17 to three run uh, Thursday night. To, to win that game by, I think they won by 10, by double digits. Um, but, yeah, just a really, you know, it, uh, Chris Holtman inherited that situation in, in some, it was it was awkward circumstances. Um, and not, you know, it wasn't like he obviously had a roster built to go to the NCAA tournament. Butler wasn't projected that way uh, in the preseason. He was sort of, and we'd been through this before, coaching for his job and was awesome. And he's now got that Butler program, like, on really – um, I'll just go back to what Greg McDermott said about Creighton, solid ground, because um, they're recruiting at a higher level now, higher level than ever before. Now, a lot of that, if not most of that, is the Big East affiliation, but uh, regardless, uh, the facts are the facts. They're recruiting at a high level, and uh, he's got the goods, man. He can coach. Like uh, On paper, this Butler team, you know, they weren't projected top five in the Big East, were they? I don't think they were. No, it was right, it was right five, six range. Yeah. Uh, 
And yet, yeah, and yet they they like they could you could reasonably have them in the top twenty five right now. Um, so like he he's doing a, a, a tremendous job there. Another team uh, that's off to a hot start is Baylor. Now Baylor and like Norlander said, we are recording this uh, early a Friday. So by the time you're listening to this, Baylor could have a loss because they're playing Louisville at 3.30 Eastern uh, on Friday. Uh, but right now, as we speak, Baylor's 5-0. and uh, They're the only team in the country with four top 80 Ken Palm wins. Only team in the country with three top 40 Ken Palm wins. Um, they have beaten, uh, most recently, Michigan State, but also VCU and Florida Gulf Coast. That Florida Gulf Coast that took Michigan State uh, to the final seconds uh, earlier in the week. So it looks like Scott Drew might be headed to his fourth straight NCAA tournament, fifth in six years, six in eight years, been to two elite eights in that span. Um, it, it has been remarkable to watch his career unfold because he was sort of a punching bag for a long time. Somebody who was, first off, inherited like one of the worst situations in the history of college basketball, a program that was on probation, uh, banned from playing a non-league schedule one season, because one player murdered another player, and then there, it, it, it you know, in a subsequent investigation, it, uh, exposed the program and the the coaching staff at the time in a variety of ways. Um, from that to uh, relevance by recruiting at a high level, but the uh, sort of the narrative connected to Scott used to be, yeah, he's getting McDonald's all, he's getting Perry Jones and people like that. And, and then winning based on nothing more than he's, he's getting elite-level players. But he doesn't win as much as you should if you've got elite-level players. Sort of the narrative was, uh, does, anybody do more with, uh, does anybody do less with more than Scott Drew? And yet here we are in 2016, and the guy's program has completely flipped. You know, I, I don't know what to, what to uh, attribute this to. But the truth is Baylor doesn't recruit the way Baylor used to recruit. They don't get the same level of five-star guy that they were getting for a, a period of time. And yet now they're uh, you know, seemingly on their way to a fourth straight NCAA tournament, fifth and six years, six and eight years. Um, he might now do, do more with less. Like, uh, How often does that happen in a coach's career? You go from being a guy known as somebody who's doing less with more to being a guy who is doing more with less. I mean, I looked at his roster uh, last night. And then went and looked at the recruiting rankings. It's mostly three-star guys, a few four-star guys, but no five-stars, no McDonald's All-Americans, not on this roster. And, uh, and yet they look good. Um, they're, 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 playing, they're, they're playing at a high level. And, and uh, it's just been fascinating to watch because I don't know how many coaches actually shake a label once a label's connected to them. Um, and yet it, it seems like, if you pay attention at least, uh, Scott is, has, is, is very much in the process of, or already has, shaken that label completely. He's turned into a, a consistently reliable winning basketball coach. Yeah. Um, there's, we've, we've said this before on the podcast, but uh, Drew's reputation, um, pretty unfair given what he's done. And you laid out a lot of it right there. Um, I'll talk briefly about what they're doing this year. Uh, the Louisville game will be interesting. We'll see if they can get that win. Louisville looked pretty good on Thanksgiving um, coming back. When you go uh, out and handle Wichita State the way Louisville handled, you're good. Because that Wichita yeah. State team is tough. And yeah. Louisville, hand- Louisville didn't just beat them. Louisville handled them from start to finish. Yeah, and, and, and they had less than 24 hours to turn around after Old Dominion pushed Louisville to OT. Um, 
and really Louisville might should have maybe lost that Old Dominion game. So they came back. They looked really good. Testament to Patino's coaching there. Baylor, I mean, listen, Jonathan Motley will be an NBA pick. There's no doubt about it. He's got so much range, bounciness, good awareness around the tin. He's a really good player. Like he, To me, Jonathan Motley would start on almost any team in America. But outside of that, like, don't get me wrong. I, I like Al, Al Freeman as a guard. But like between him, Manu LeCompte, who really couldn't find significant floor time at Miami, has transferred and made a nice adaptation here after taking a redshirt year you know running Baylor's offense he's he's doing well overall um I, I do like what we see here it is interesting that you pointed that you pointed that out because I wasn't aware of just how big Baylor's season has been so far in terms of those wins I mean if we if we did a mock field of 68 right now this this is the number one overall seed given who they've played, the based, ones they have? Based on resume. like, And again, this will all change, and some of it's simply because of the schedule they've played. Like there are te- like Kentucky couldn't possibly have three top 40 wins already because they haven't played that schedule to date. But, but it is true. As of November 25th, the morning of 2016, uh, the team with the best resume in the country is, is Baylor. They are. And they had, listen, they were down early against MSU little bit um but then they came back and roared and, and michigan state has its own issues here um you know tom is apologizing for scheduling the way that he did um that team is it's going to need some more time and it's kind of what i expected to be honest i had written a little bit about that in the preseason with the spartans there's just a lot to figure out there and a lot of it legitimately you can i think point to travel because that team went to hawaii to start the season right then they flew all the way back to new york and then, and then to East Lansing, and now to the Bahamas. And by the way, Michigan, they played. Like, this is, Izzo made this uh, complaint, and it is totally legit. They played St. John's late into Wednesday, and they had to turn around and play at noon on Thanksgiving against Baylor. Like, that's ridiculous. I understand that TV is dictating a lot of this stuff. And, like, their St. John's game was on AXS TV, which is like the Mark Cuban run television channel. And then ESPN gets the, the games on Thanksgiving, so then ESPN is going to put these games here, 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 and here. So Michigan State-Baylor is a noon tip. Uh, I, I almost put no stock in Michigan State losing the Baylor game the way that it did because I know that they're young kids and all that, but, dude, with all that travel and not even – like that's a crazy quick turnaround against a top-20 team right now. Um, I, and, and then Michigan State's got to play Wichita State here on Friday. Like <laughs> – uh, we'll see what Woo. happens with that. They, they lose. They'll be three and four. They'll be three and four, but they'll have faced Arizona, Kentucky, Baylor, Wichita State, Mississippi Valley State, Gulf Coast, which they barely beat, and then St. John's. Um, they, they would be three and, and four, and then, then and then they go to Duke on right. Tuesday. No, it's crazy. It's 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 freaking wild. So, in regard to MSU, like yes, they could easily be three and five. Uh, no, and, and they, they would be. They would be they, like Tuesday night. See, like I, I presumably, they will be three and five with five top twenty-five losses. I know, and and they can get good um, or get right in December because the schedule is all home games. It opens up, um, so they'll have, you know, a chance to to get better in that regard. But their non-con is going to be terrible to the point where. I mean, if they drop Wichita, and they drop Duke, and then they are like a top four Big Ten team. Even if that happens, Michigan State would probably be 
like a four at the absolute best. Um, but then again, that could set up, you know, another year where, you know, Tom Izzo doesn't have a one, two, three or four seed. And yet he's still breaking through the sweet 16. I could totally, totally see that happening if they get Gavin Schilling back. But yeah, their schedule is just, it's just absolutely brutal on travel. And when you consider who they've played overall, um, that's a little bit of a digression from Michigan State to Baylor. But we've had a lot of, you know, interesting teams this week. Well, like, the games like, 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 are just okay. Well, on, on Michigan State, real quick, um, I do think a lot of it's the travel. And I, I tweeted this last night because, you know, Tom and, and Cal Boone at CBSSports.com wrote about uh, Tom's apology to his players. Like, I'm sorry I put you in this position. Uh, I've talked to him about this extensively. Like, why do you sch- – because, like – it's not why do you schedule this way. I wish everybody scheduled this way. The games are more fun when good teams are playing good teams. But most coaches at the high major level will not schedule as aggressively as Tom does. And he, he, he there's actually two reasons. And I, I, he was really good at explaining this. He said, one is, I have job security. A, a lot of guys out there, like their fans are on them, you know, 12 months a year. Their fans are always questioning them. And so you just don't want to deal with that. Even if it's not a real hot seat, the perceived hot seat, you just don't want to deal with it. I think Tom Crean's a great example of this. Like, Tom is in no actual trouble. But, like, losing a game at Fort Wayne, like, that that makes your life harder. You know, it's a, it's, it's a quality of life damager uh, because your fans start questioning all these things that they, they have previously questioned about you. Well, Tom didn't. Nobody questions Tom Izzo. Like, really nobody in the sport. I, I was doing a radio interview somewhere few weeks ago and i was like sort of surprised by the question because somebody said uh do you do you think tom Izzo might be overrated and i was like really like who has is that really a thing people think tom he's like well you know only one national title and i was like no i don't think tom Izzo's is overrated what do you like i couldn't i was like i've never even heard that is that something you've heard somewhere and the host was like i don't know you know but um my, my point my larger point is that almost nobody questions tom Izzo, and so um, he said, I, so I don't have to worry about if I take some losses, people are going to start wondering if I've lost it or if I deserve my job. And that, that, I, that's a luxury that m- most other coaches don't have. He said, so I have job security. And so I can schedule this way. Cause I'm not, I'm not worried about the narrative that it might create. The other thing is, he, and this was interesting. He said, we play in that champions classic with Duke and Kentucky and, um, Kansas. He said, but we're not viewed that way. He said, we don't, we don't recruit. Now, they, they, that changed last year. He, and, but he said, like, you know, historically, we, we haven't been able to recruit like those schools can recruit. Um, we, we, you know, I, I don't feel like we are thought of that way. And so I, I have a hard time saying no to anything because like, I, I'm constantly trying to keep to – I want our program to, to be viewed that way, like Kentucky's and like North Carolina's and like Duke's. But I don't know that we actually are. And so I feel like I, if I'm presented with an opportunity to put my team on an aircraft carrier or take them to Pearl Harbor or play in the Champions Classic or go to the Bahamas, like I can't say no to that stuff because I have to do it to, to keep our program in, the, uh, you know, in everybody's minds because otherwise I don't know that we would be. And I don't know if that's true or if it's just a, a, an imagined insecurity. But I, I was I was fascinated, uh, you know, by his logic there. Like I, one, I have job security, so I'll schedule aggressively. And two, I want our program to be a top shelf program, and I'm not sure we are automatically viewed that way as a big big brand the way Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke are, Kansas. So I I uh, so I just I I say yes to everything, 
You give me an opportunity to put my team on a big stage, I say yes every time. And it has bitten him before. It looks like it's biting him here again because the travel has been, I, I think, overwhelming even for 19- and 20-year-olds. That said, I think their biggest issue, just not very good. They're really young and not very good. Like, I, I think – now, they can be good. I'm with you. I won't be surprised if we, we see them in the Sweet 16. But I think at this moment, they're just not – they're not very good. You know, like, uh, Tum Tum's solid, but he's not Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey. I just don't know that the roster um, is – is you know, first off, it's limited by injury. But then it's young, and it's not Kentucky young. Like, Kentucky has young lottery picks. Michigan State might have one young lottery pick. And there's just a difference there. I think – I think the travel's part of it, schedule's part of it, but I don't. I also don't think they're very good. They're not good yet. They can get there. Um, Aaron Harris has to be a better all-around player. Um, Tum Tum, you know, he just can't create his own shot. He's he's a top fifteen defender in the sport, but he's he's still hampered on the other end. Uh, personally, Goins has actually been okay overall. Um, McQuaid's not shooting it as well as he should. It's just going to take a little more time. And Ward, Nick Ward, who is their freshman big man who's being asked to do way more than, than anyone thought he was going to have to do, he's actually been okay. He, he has adapted fairly well. So there are really positive individual games. And Bridges in general, like when you watch Miles Bridges play, uh, he is all over the freaking court. Like it's, it's, he's, he's a fantastic watch. Uh, he's still too in love with his three-point shot. He should not be relying on that as much. But regardless of that, um, I, th- I still think he's in for a really, really big year. I still think he could be still good enough to where he'll win fresh Big Ten of the Year as a freshman, uh, freshman of the year in Big Ten, I should say. Um, it is early, and I'm filled with plenty of pumpkin pie. And I played football <laughs> yesterday, and oh my God, my brothers and I—that is the strangest. Uh, that, so is, that, that is the strangest Norlander tradition that you and your brothers play play football every Thanksgiving. And that, this is not a strange Norlander tradition. There are families around the country that do the exact same thing. There's nothing strange about it. My family it's doesn't just... play football. <laughs> Dude, I'm so sore today. But we got the win. We legitimately timed. We we did timed running clock quarters, 12 minutes, 43-40. We actually, it was so funny. Before the, before the game, we were joking. We were like, what do we think the Vegas has the line at? And I said, well, it's me and my youngest brother, Cody, playing against uh, the two middle kids, Kyle and Chris. I said, I think... I think Vegas has me and Cody at net minus 3.5. And yet Kyle and Chris, they covered that spread. They Vegas always knows, man. Uh, 40, 40, crazy stuff. So anyway, I'm uh, just trying to break into Friday here. You know, hey, real quick. Uh, we, we go through your hatred of turkey every year. We don't need to do that again. But what are your thoughts on pumpkin pie for breakfast? Because I'm really I'm debating on getting into that uh, once we wrap up here. I enjoy pumpkin pie. Also, sweet potato. Do you enjoy sweet potato pie? I had sweet potato pie yesterday. I had sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie yesterday. I had them both. One for lunch and one for, for dinner. I'm okay with pumpkin pie. I don't have a big hang-up. You know how people say, well, you can't eat that for breakfast or you can't eat that for dinner? I don't, I don't really get caught up on that too much. I can eat basically anything that I enjoy at any time of the day. Like few, uh, I don't know, a few days ago uh, for breakfast, Kelly was like, what are you cooking? I was like, fish. She said you're gonna eat. Fish. Oh, that's just weird. She said you're gonna eat fish for breakfast. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna eat fish for breakfast. She's like, isn't that weird? I was like, I don't know. Like, if you like fish, what difference does it make what time you eat it? Like, does that does it matter? Like, if you like something, it doesn't. Why does it matter what time you choose to eat it? No, that's. I'm sorry. You think that's you weird? Can't, you can't be. You can't be working up some cod at <laughs> nine in the morning. Hashtag fish for breakfast. That's not a thing. Okay, that shouldn't be a thing. That's weird. 
But I get what you're saying mostly because breakfast for dinner is amazing. Love it. Yes. Uh, but like, like, I don't know, like three years ago, my, my wife, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I, I catch her in the kitchen and, and she's going to town on a piece of pumpkin pie at like nine in the morning or whatever. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she changed my whole worldview in that very moment. And I was like, you know what? Why can't you have pumpkin pie for breakfast? I don't see why that's not acceptable. I, it is so acceptable this, for me. It is. I, but fish, uh, I might go right now. Honey glazed salmon. I, yes. I, can't, I can't get on board. With I'm gonna go. Get, I'm gonna eat salmon and pumpkin pie for breakfast. Why not? What like like? Why does it matter? What's the big like? You know, I'll eat uh, like yeah, a breakfast for dinner. You know, eggs and toast, sausage, uh, bacon for dinner. That's fine. Um, I I'll do that whenever. Whenever you want to do it, I'll do it. Um, uh, but also like I'm not against eating meatballs for breakfast. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll knock out I'll knock out spaghetti for breakfast. It doesn't matter to me. I, if if I enjoy eating something, I can I can have that for any meal, whether it's uh, uh, dusk or dawn. I don't know that I don't know I don't know why that's a weird thing. People like I have all these I I, I think are sound logically um, approaches to life. Like when you go to the grocery store or like you know wherever you go, Target or Walmart, like we stock you stock up on. A toilet paper, right? You, you don't buy one roll of toilet paper. You buy eight rolls of toilet paper or, or sort of 24 rolls of toilet paper. Same thing with paper towels, paper plates, uh, soft drinks. So why is it ridiculous to walk into a liquor store and buy like 10 bottles of vodka? People like if you walk out of a liquor store with 10 bottles of vodka, you walk in your front door with 10 bottles of vodka. People look at you like, why? What in the world? Why did you buy 10 bottles of vodka? Are you having a party? And you say no. But like eventually uh, over time, like this week. Probably gonna drink vodka. Like I'm, I'm gonna need ten bottles of vodka. It's like over the next year or you know month. month. But so like, why not just stock up now? Why go back every time? We use this logic as, as it relates to paper towels, soft drinks, um, uh, diapers. If you have a baby, um, you know, like uh, if you got a, a teenager who likes Chef Boyardee, you don't just buy one can of Chef Boyardee. You buy ten cans of Chef Boyardee. So what, like? So why do people look at me crazy when I'm walking out of the liquor store with a box of vodka? <laughs> like, right? Right? Is this a problem? Is my logic sound? I feel I feel and why, and why there. I can't get over you. Why is it crazy to eat fish well, for breakfast? I can't get over you throwing some trout on in your oven at like eight forty five in the morning. Dude, it was even worse than that. Because I had a flight. I was flying to Baltimore. I was flying to Baltimore for the Veterans Classic, right? Yeah. yeah. Which was in Annapolis. So my flight was like at 7 a.m. So it was like 5.15 in the morning. <laughs> I was cooking fish at 5.15 in the morning. And I never told you this. Check this out. And then, and then we'll get out of here because we got basketball to watch all day and pumpkin pie to eat and maybe fish. Um, so I'm flying. I fly from Memphis to Atlanta. And then I'm flying from Atlanta to Baltimore. And I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the front of the plane. That's that's the humble way of saying first class. <laughs> and so um, this this attractive woman gets on the plane and I immediately recognize her like I, like, oh, she must have been a bartender somewhere, I've, you know, that I used to know. I, 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 I knew her. I felt like and I knew not, her. not a person of public like recognition, not not hold a, on, not a hold, on, hold on. Okay. So I, uh, I, I, I clearly like as soon as she, I'm already on the plane and she's walking on the plane like everybody else is walking on the plane, and I, I we make eye contact, and I recognize her immediately, 
and and like I'm not very good with names, but I'm great with faces. If I've ever seen your face, I'll recognize your face. And so I was like, I, I I'm like, oh wow, like I, I couldn't quite place her, but she was obviously familiar. And, and this has to do with you cooking fish, just so I can be clear. Nothing, I, but I had I had eaten fish three hours earlier. Okay, this you is, just simply forgot to share this story. All right, yes, go ahead. So. I uh, I see her and she looks like somebody who might have been a waitress at a bar I used to go to or a bartender at a but she just looks familiar, and I I look at her make eye contact and she's looking at me like she might know me, which there's no way she knew who I was. You'll find out why in a minute. Um, and but I look at her so I I feel like we know each other. So I'm like, hey, what's up? How you been? She's like, good. And I'm like, okay, cool, good to see you. And she's like, hey, oh, good to see you. And she walks to her seat. And so now I'm just like, who is that? Where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? And about halfway through the flight, it hits me. You know who it was? Jesse Jane, the adult, the adult film star. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so I, I'm on my laptop, you know, a, a Wi-Fi in, on the plane. And I'm like, it's Jesse Jane. That was 100% Jesse Jane. And so I go to Jesse Jane's Twitter. <laughs> And and you know what it said? Like, on my way to Baltimore or something like that. I was like, holy crap, it's like legit Jesse Jane, which is just amazing, independent of everything. But more than that, I just hollered at her like she was my best friend. <laughs> I swear. First of all, you know, you know that she is so used to getting looks from people that are just like, how do I know that face? Like, you know, that's part of her, like, everyday experience. Cause life, you, right? Yeah, because yeah, you know you know her face and you you know, like – all sorts of things about her, right? And, uh, and but like I saw it, it was like it was like I'd seen an ex girlfriend, and in some ways I had. And you were just like, "Hey, it's great to see you again." <laughs> no, I, I I I yelled at her the same way I would yell at you if you were like walking on a plane and I hadn't seen you in a while. I was like, "Yo, what's up? How you been?" <laughs> she just looked at me like I was a maniac who had just had fish for breakfast. I just had fish for breakfast. I, like whole day was off the rails. Had fish for breakfast. Hollering at Jesse Jane, middle of a plane, whole thing. Was the other aspect is you were you were cooking it, no doubt, in the dark. Like at five fifteen, you're like, the sun's far from coming up. Yeah. And you're throwing some fish on on the oven. Oh man, on the stovetop. I just felt uh, like I felt like I was, I knew I was about to be on the road for a couple of days. I knew I was going out to dinner with Rostein that night, and so I knew I was going to overeat at night. So I felt like if I could get a healthy breakfast in, be a good thing. I was trying to. I was actually thinking. I was trying to be responsible. Then I just started hollering at Jesse Jane like she was my buddy from way back. I can't say this is a high note, but it's certainly something to end on. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get your uh, hands on the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So do that. We're going to talk to you again early next week. If I happen to bump into an adult film star between now and then, I'll make sure to share that story. Until then, take care. <laughs>